0: Learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us.
1: It is time.
0: It is time.
1: They can't be inside. Hackers? Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packers Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Follow me on Twitter at JJLAHEY. a h e y. you stay up to date on all things Packers or sending questions for the show, you can also uh, use the Google Voice phone number. Let me stall for a second while I pull it up because uh, I can never remember what it is. I think it's 734. 734. Here we go. Uh... Two, three, one, seven, one, four, four, one, nine, five. I need to just write this on a sticky note and put it on my computer monitor. So I quit forgetting it and quit having to open it up. But that is the Google voice phone number. You can send in a voicemail. I'll play on the show. If it's a good question and respond to it, uh, it's always a good time. There's, you know, the new story on the athletic. Everybody's talking about it on social media. And I feel a little bit bad about, I don't want to say stealing this, but being the first person on the network to do a pod about it because, you know, breaking news is not usually my thing. But, I don't know, this is an interesting one. It broke right before I started recording. (laughs) So, this is kind of what I'm interested in, kind of what I want to talk about. Aaron Rodgers sat down with Matt Schneidman of The Athletic. And basically told, you know, again, his side of the story of the breakup with the Packers. And I think what I want to do, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's really long. But I want to touch on just a couple of of things, I guess, that we are learning through this that we didn't previously know. Why? Because we're still Packer fans. This is about the Green Bay Packers. It's is about how they do business. And it's about guys who are still here and still in charge. So one thing uh, Rodgers sort of did, sort of didn't admit, (laughs) that he demanded that Mark Murphy fire Brian Gutekunst back in 2021. He kind of uh, blamed David Dunn for that, which is interesting to me. I feel like there's a bunch of times when Aaron is more than willing to just crap all over Goody at every turn and then when you pin him down and say hey listen there's a you know a source within the team says that you ask David Dunn to demand that Mark Murphy fire Brian, Brian Gutkinst or trade you and all of a sudden the uh, you know bravado is gone and all of a sudden Rogers just says oh uh you are you need to ask david about that that was a david thing i don't i don't know anything about that okay right <laughs> right but instead he gets 150 million dollars and basically a green card to just whine about the packers at any turn without any repercussions seems to be what the packers offered him uh Other things that we did learn that we didn't previously know, Rodgers was commenting on the demands that he had made of the team to kind of be more, to have the front office more involved with the players and to feel like he had a little bit more voice. And he's made comments in the past indicating that he doesn't feel like that was taken seriously, or you know, and that like they did it, but they only did it because he demanded it, and they didn't really want to do it. I don't know, man. Like, I feel feel like he just wants something to complain about. But he did highlight that he felt like Russ Ball was a person who was spending time doing that. He said Russ definitely made an effort to be more seen, to be a better communicator to be around more, to interact with the guys more, and I really appreciated his effort to grow and to listen to some of the things I was saying and try and make the culture and the place a better environment. I thought Russ, more than anybody, really showed that he cared and showed a lot of personal growth, and I give him credit for that. Russ Ball, of course, you know, in addition to just being the salary cap guy, his titles are Executive VP and Director of Football Operations. I do think it's important that a guy like Russ Ball knows the players on a personal level. I, you know, who I actually thought of in, in this moment was Andrew Brandt. You know, Andrew Brandt has talked at, at great length about his role in the Farf to Rogers transition and that he was, you know, sort of, um, sort of an underling-ish, you know, one, a member of the front office, but was more approachable and spent a lot of time working with a young Aaron Rodgers to kind of keep him happy and, and to kind of be that listening ear and keep him around, keep him invested and and not lose heart. And it does have me wondering – And obviously, I just don't know enough about the situation. But it does have me wondering if Russ Ball or somebody along those lines has been having those types of conversations with Jordan Love. We know that Matt LaFleur has done that. We've heard about conversations that they have had in the offseason and that they do keep in touch. And they've been photographed out at dinner together multiple times. (sighs) During, I, I would say, interesting seasons, you know, the time is when there's a lot of Rogers drama going on. I know right around the time that Rogers signed his latest contract with the Packers, that sure felt like it was the death sentence for Jordan Love's future with the team right around that exact time somebody photographed LaFleur and Love out at dinner together at some swanky restaurant. And, and I just... I've always wondered what they talked about. Uh, he talked about Devontae Adams leaving. It's not interesting at all. He basically just said that the Packers are jerks. And that was it. Was nothing interesting there. Um, But then... He talks about the drafting of Christian Watson. And his distaste for the idea of trying to make things work with a rookie and I'm not gonna read it, but it left a pretty bad taste in my mouth. He was justifying why he didn't show up to voluntary OTAs, that he thought felt that they were pointless, and that he thought that the Packers were just looking for something to complain about, that they wanted him to be the bad guy and that's why they pretended to be upset that he wasn't at OTAs. That's basically his his take. Uh, the direct quote is, I think that's just a cop-out written to try and find something to disparage me about. Honestly, we well, you know what offseason season workout, workouts are really about. It's completely ridiculous. Just let his words stand on their own. Then, he talks about the lack of communications with Brian Goodkins this past year. and I, Again, I think that this is important. I skipped a part early on when when uh, they were talking about the drafting of Jordan Love, and that the Packers it very intentionally communicated things to Rodgers in such a way as to pin the entire Jordan Love decision one hundred percent completely on Brian Gutekunst, and to try and absolve. Matt LaFleur, and this is, I believe this was the uh, unnamed source at the Packers. Where to go here? The Packers knew Rodgers wouldn't be happy about the selection, and to protect the relationship between and he, between him and head coach Matt LaFleur, they told him the decision to draft Loves was strictly the GMs. Rodgers sort of said that he didn't buy it because he just knows how business works and that they would have all had to sign off on the pick, um, but I found that interesting and then, you know, I think it's, it's also telling that one year later, <laughs> uh, Aaron has David Dunn tell Mark Murphy directly, you need to either fire Brian Gudekinst or trade me. And Mark Murphy is just like, well, I'm not making a, a binary choice between these two options. I'm not going to do either one of those things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they traded him, but they traded him. More than two years after after the fact, uh, but he talks about so you know basically he admitted that he just didn't talk to Gudkins very much because he doesn't like Gudkins that he flat out admitted it. He said, uh, "Listen, I talk to the people that I like." So he's he's addressing the storyline about Gudkins trying to meet in person with Rogers when he was out in California. And then I think Gutekunst is the one who said that then, you know, they, they couldn't connect. And then he drove down to Vegas to go to um, some event. I I forget what what bowl or, or a pro day he was at, but then he again, tried to get together with Aaron after that. And Aaron is, trying to paint this as uh, ridiculous (laughs) and that it's like, look, this is just life while also slipping in there that he waited like 24 hours to reply to Goodkin's text. So I don't know. I, I, I think that it's not super important. I don't think that there was going to be a reality where Rogers was going to come back because although he says that, he was open to it. I just don't... I don't see anything here to indicate... That the relationship he had with the Packers... Was in a place where... He was going to be happy about coming back. And they were going to be happy about having him back. And and the fact that... They're... Trying to have conversations with him. And he's taking more than a a full day to respond to a text. I, I just, they, they never were going to meet up and talk. Here's what Aaron said. I felt good about the way I showed up for my guys every single week. And it's convenient now to look at that, but it wasn't a conversation where Russ and Matt and Brian and Mark would thank me for my speeches after games or the way I fought or played at different things. You can rewrite history all you want, but like I said, I still have the receipts. I don't really know what that's about. I'm not sure why Mark would have to come give him, you know, thank him for a speech after a game. But I'm not an NFL quarterback. Maybe Peyton Manning would tell you that that the owner is supposed to come thank you for making a speech after a game. No idea. Uh, Roger said that a week after the season ended, the Packers told him to take as much time as he wanted to make a decision about his future. Quote, we want you to retire a Packer. We'll figure everything else out, but we want you to be here. That Those words are from Rogers. Rogers said that that's what they told him. Gudikins and Rogers agreed to meet in person in Southern California, where Rogers lives in the offseason, and where Gudikins was traveling in late January for the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, but they never connected while Gudikins was out west. Rogers said, Life happens. When I hit him back, he was already out of town. But it wasn't like I hit him back five days later. He hit me up the morning of one day, and I hit him up either the night or the next morning or the next day, and he was gone. (laughs) Yeah, imagine that. You ghost a guy for 24 or 48 hours, and turns out he's not just sitting around waiting for you to decide if you want to meet up with him. It wasn't like there was a date we were for sure meeting at this time in this place. It was like, hey, I'm coming out west. I'm driving, whatever. Do you want to get together? I said, yeah, I got a busy schedule. I'm working out. I got things going on. I got appearances. But I'd like to make it work, too. Uh, let's see. Gutkin's told reporters he tried to contact Rogers many times. I remember him saying that multiple times in that interview. He said many times. Rogers proved too elusive to reach. Asked about the two sides' differing stories, Rogers credited the disconnect to the Packers not using FaceTime to call him. I have zero or one bar at the house, so you call me, sometimes it goes through, most of the time it drops, and it doesn't go through. Everybody who knows me, when I'm out West, they know that's how to get a hold of me. So you can say whatever you want about it, but that's the truth. Before I went in the darkness, I hit them up and said, hey, there's some stuff swirling around here. We should get together, you, me, and Matt. Bob Brian. Uh, then he says he went in his darkness retreat, talks about how that went, and emerged, feeling good about either retiring or continuing to play. He contacts David Dunn, his agent. David says the Rodgers have been shopping him. Rogers then gets mad and tells Dunn to demand a trade to the Jets. And he didn't have anything else that he wanted to say to the GM. Quote, did Brian text me more than I texted him? Yeah, but did I ghost him? No. I texted him back. There was back and forths that we had. And so this is the story you want to go with? You're going to stand on this hill of austerity and say that arguably in the conversation of the best player in your franchise history, you're going to say, oh, I couldn't get a hold of him and that's why we had to move on? Come on, man, just tell the truth. You wanted to move on. You didn't like the fact that we didn't communicate all the time. Listen, I talk to the people that I like. This is no surprise. We know and have known for a very long time that Aaron does not like Brian Gutekunst. Okay, I think that's about it as far as interesting Aaron stuff, but there's more in this article. Um, Some comments from Goodkins about the decision to move on to Jordan Love. He's talking about the Kansas City game and makes an observation that I made a thousand times around that game. Obviously, that game went pretty terribly. Uh, Love completed 19 of 34 passes for 190 yards, one touchdown, and an interception. Uh, 13 to 7 loss. That game is one of the reasons Gudekens is encouraged about Love taking over. Why? Start with the 16 quarterback pressures the Packers allowed. That was like the worst Packers offensive line performance I've ever seen. Royce Newman didn't do anything. I, as soon as the game was over, I tweeted, Packers need to make the offensive line walk home from Kansas City. <laughs> uh watching that tape, it's just it's baffling to me looking at Royce Newman. Like I-, I know that Royce is bigger and smarter than I am. I think I could have done a better job blocking than he did <laughs> in that game. He just stood there and let guys run past him. Anyways. Uh Gutekind said we didn't have a great plan for him there. I thought the way he responded to that game, the way he handled himself in the midst of that chaos, in a tough time, it gave us confidence that he could stay poised in those moments. And he was. He was poised the entire time. He didn't look rattled. He did not look scared out there. I mean, the offensive line is crumbling around him. He does scramble around a lot. He misses some throws. He never looked rattled. I mean, we talk a lot about the value of sitting a quarterback and not playing them in their rookie season because you don't want them to develop bad habits. You don't want to, you know, quote-unquote ruin a promising college prospect by putting them in a situation with a bad offensive line or where they don't fully understand the offense and they're out there and they're getting just getting the tar beat out of them by opposing defenses and they panic and they lose their confidence and they get rattled and... You know, as, as we all remember Sam Darnold talking about, you see ghosts. And Jordan looked completely confident out there. Did he play well? No, I don't think he played well. I think that his ball placement was not great. I think that, uh, some of the timing was really late a lot of the time, which is why it was really encouraging to me to see in that Philly game that we've talked about so much that his timing was perfect. I mean, that was huge. If we're talking about what do you need in a truly great quarterback? One of the first things that everybody always liked to throw out there about exciting prospects is, Oh, he can make all the throws. He's got a big arm. Well, we've seen that Jordan does have a cannon. Uh, and his accuracy in college was one of his best traits. And the stuff that you saw from him in college that you didn't like didn't have to do with poor ball placement. It had to do with not seeing defenders. <laughs> you know, that was the big thing you were trying to clean up is that, like, he did, didn't always understand the defense he was looking at and he could get tricked. And, uh, you know, there'd be a, just a linebacker just sitting there and it was like, Jordan didn't even see him, and the linebacker just leaps up and just plucks a ball out of the air. It's not like we have a ton of points of reference, you know, because the preseason games are just tough because I, I don't think that much of what you see in a preseason game gives you any indication of then what happens in the regular season. It's frustrating to me because I really like the preseason games, and then basically whatever we saw in the preseason game, the exact opposite happens with that player than in the regular season. And I just don't know what to do with that information. But throwing that aside and, and just looking at, I, I think we have three, uh, maybe four, big moments that you can, uh, uh, you know milestones that you can point to. Here he is in college. Great ball placement. Big arm. Seems to do a really good job of throwing, you know, in rhythm with good timing, leading guys, and he really struggles with reading what the defense is going to do and struggles with vision. All right, the next time you see him at Kansas City, it's kind of an interesting reference point, a little snapshot in history here, because it's a very different quarterback at this point from what we saw in college uh you don't see his mobility on display the same way he did in college uh you don't see the ball placement anywhere near what it was in college you know the um the the ball placement i think in the Kansas City game was was piss poor and it was an interesting thing to me to look at him and go this is interesting because he's doing well in some of the areas that he previously struggled but now he's struggling in the areas that he used to excel. Because I think that a lot of the failed um, pass attempts in that game were due to inaccuracy. What could be causing that? Well, we we know that uh, the Packers were working with him on improving his technique and his footwork and his form. And, you know, you got to get your drop right. And they really retooled a a lot of his mechanics in a similar way that Mike McCarthy did with Aaron Rodgers when he came to the league. You know, this is, you remember that Aaron Rodgers came into the league and he's got this kind of, kind of weird throwing motion where like the ball really starts out like up by his ear. And Mike McCarthy put him in what he called quarterback school, which was I forget how many hours a day, like four hours a day of just like grueling study and like, we are going to, you know, we have a lot of time with you sitting on the bench here. We're going to strip you down to the nuts and bolts. Ah. <laughs> I'm building a, a computer right now. Something I like to do for fun on the side. I, I build PCs and occasionally sell them. Um, but I, I just did one for my father in law. He bought an old computer and there were some good parts in there. And, and the main problem with it was that the motherboard was holding everything back. It was a, outdated motherboard, and the processor that was plugged into it was a nice processor. But, you know, like the RAM is really outdated. Um, You know, two generations behind what we're moving into now. And I told him, I said, you know, I think that this processor you have in here is totally worth preserving. You know, this makes this machine that you bought worth the price that you paid. But some of the fundamentals about this machine are really flawed. And this motherboard is holding you back. We can get you a newer motherboard for, it turns out it only cost us like 12 bucks. But then there was a lot of work involved of, you got to disassemble everything. Every single piece has to come out of there. And then, you know, the, the, the case is now the wrong um, proportions. And so I actually have to disassemble the entire metal case, drill out the rivets. You know, there's a, an outer clamshell. There's an inner uh, metal shell that has a bunch of brackets and stuff. And I got to, you know, remove the rivets and disassemble this part. And, and then I'm doing a lot of cutting on this inner shell. And then, you know, you put it back together with the outer shell and re rivet it back together. And then you install the new motherboard and now you can plug in the newer nicer ram and you can hold more ram and and guess what that old processor that was good and was a, a you know pretty nice new processor it still fits this motherboard that we have and so you know you re- reassemble it and you start out with kind of a junky computer and it didn't cost us a lot of money but it cost a lot of effort and a lot of time and we put together A very nice, very powerful computer that he can now go do a bunch of video editing with. He can play video games. He's not really a video game (laughs) person, but he could. Um, You know, we install all these new gadgets, new video card, and all this stuff. It's a nice computer. It's very, very blazing fast. And the interesting thing is, if you look at it, you know, you'd be tempted to say it's a brand new computer, but it's really not. It's it's the same computer, and. You know, the the little spark of magic in the middle that makes it all run is still there. And what we kind of changed was like the skeleton. <laughs> we did surgery, took it all apart, took the skeleton out, put a new one in and rebuilt it. And I think that this is what we saw the Packers do with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that this is the goal of what they've done with Jordan Love is like, hey, you know what? You two quarterbacks are going to be sitting on the bench for multiple years. And it turns out three years for each guy. And there's no pressure that you have to be playing right now. But we need to use this time wisely and we need to identify what is your extraordinary trait, which is what we saw in college. This is what makes you special. All right. Jordan Love is a great processor. He excels at throwing the ball at exactly the right time. He excels at ball placement. He's a great leader. Very calm, very poised in college. In disastrous situations, he still remained calm. And I think that these are all traits that are really worth building a quarterback around. And there was some skeleton stuff that needed to be uh, stripped out. Hey, sorry dude, your footwork is terrible. Your form is not what we're looking for. We have a lot of time to strip that all away and rebuild you. So by the time we see him in Kansas City, there's a lot of progress in his ability to read the defense, in his, um, I think his decision-making mostly was was pretty good in that game. Um, the ball placement, I think, <laughs> suffered a lot. And certainly, I, I think that there's uh, a lot of ways that Matt LaFleur as the play caller and Jordan Love as the signal caller could really have taken better advantage of the sort of nonstop zero blitz looks that we were seeing from the Chiefs where, you know what? you got a lot of guys rushing the passer, which means there's somebody open. Let's start hitting some quick slants. Let's get the ball to... a a receiver, let's run some, some screens here and really make them pay. I think that would have been, obviously everybody would agree about this, that 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 would have been a a nice opportunity there to sort of force the defense to adjust and and not bring (laughs) eight guys, every single, every single play. But there was a lot of good to take away there as well. I think there was a lot of Jordan's extraordinary trait on display there. He remained calm. Um, he was doing a better job of reading what the defense was trying to do in coverage. And then the next time we see him, you know, in in uh, a really big moment, because I don't know how much you can take away from that Lions game it, it, that was positive. I thought, you know, we we kind of don't really touch on the Lions game very much where he played basically a whole second half and I think he outperformed Rodgers but still didn't play well in that game. But the Philly game is a whole year after the Kansas City game. It's year three for love in LaFleur's system. And you see a guy who is excelling in all the areas where he struggled versus Kansas City. He did get blitzed. He responded well. His accuracy was on point. I think that the throw to Aaron Jones that didn't get caught and throw to Randall Cobb that, you know, yes, it was pass interference. Yes, the pass was broken up. Yes, it probably should have been a touchdown. I think these are pretty prime examples of you kind of can't put the ball <laughs> in, in a better place. I mean, the, in the end zone to Randall Cobb, the defender literally had to commit a penalty in order to break up the play. And yeah, the ref should have done something about that, but that's also just part of the game. And with Aaron Jones, I mean, yep, Aaron Jones should have caught that. <laughs> and, and Jordan could not have put the ball in a better spot than he did. Yeah, that that uh incompletion was a hundred percent Aaron Jones, I'm sorry. The throw to Christian Watson, of course, this is the one that everybody was excited about. And yeah, it's a it's a Christian Watson highlight. It's also a fantastic anticipation throw by Jordan. It's out in front of him. He doesn't have to slow down at all. He can just pluck it out of the air and speed up. And you see what this offense can really look like at its best. Yes, Jordan can hit the deep shots. Also, this offense runs really, really, really well when you throw in the right timing. Throw to the open guy. Lead him. You can just kill the defense. And you know what? When you are hitting those kinds of passes short, it makes the... Defense have to come up closer and and try and take take those away, <laughs> and then boom, you're opening up those deep shots, and it's fantastic that you got a guy who can hit those deep shots. And I think that there's a lot to be excited about with Jordan. You know, and and the com, com, uh, comparison has been made between the Tom Brady style of quarterbacking and the Jordan Love style of quarterbacking. No, I'm not saying he's Tom Brady. But if you compare what made Tom Brady special, fantastic, unflappable leadership. I mean, Tom never looked, you know, very rarely did he ever look like a moment was too big for him. He was always, which which is something you see from Aaron frequently, a lot of the playoff games you would see where Aaron does have a clean pocket and he's still panicking and bails from from a, a pocket before he really needs to. And you can see that he doesn't trust his offensive line. He gets scared. And I don't, I, my hope is that we're not going to see that from Jordan Love and it'll be more along the lines of Tom Brady where, you know what? No matter how big the moment is, I still don't feel the pressure and I'm still in control and I'm still keeping other guys where they need to be. And then Tom Brady, uh, it's it's kind of funny for a guy who was in the league as long as he has been that he doesn't have like a Mahomes-esque highlight reel of just like incredible throws. Yeah, he has some great throws, but every quarterback does. But Brady just killed you over and over and over and over again. Just death by a billion cuts over 20 years by constantly making the right decision. Boom, guy open, bam. I'm going to throw it with good anticipation. You know, the the guy is wide open. I lead him so he can just keep running at full speed. Nobody else can get the ball. It's only him. And that's all it took to make him special. It was just a guy who you, you couldn't make him uncomfortable. He was completely unflappable. He was always calm. Now, he would get upset and angry, obviously you'd see those moments where like you know he's frustrated with a teammate for not doing their job but he'd never looked scared out there and you certainly have seen Aaron Rodgers look scared out there and you know Aaron is great in his own way and I'm not trying to diminish what he does but I I think that he and Jordan are different types of quarterbacks and I think that there's positives and and negatives to making the transition and I think if you can have Jordan be a guy who is always calm and unflappable and keeps fighting until the final whistle. I think that that looks a lot more like the way that Tom Brady won as opposed to the way that Aaron Rodgers won. And obviously both quarterbacks are great. Anyways, didn't mean to rant that long about Jordan Love, but I I, I thought it was interesting that the part of the Kansas City game that I liked so much was what the Packers front office was encouraged about with Jordan as well. That they didn't look at that game as like, Ugh, okay, maybe he can still be good despite that Kansas City game. That No, they looked at it and they said, you know what, we threw him into a, a really bad situation and we did not. I mean, for all the talk about like, oh, the Packers don't do enough to help Aaron Rodgers, the Packers are openly admitting that they did not do enough in that Kansas City game to help Jordan Love. I mean, they're just saying that flat out. So I, I think it's it's interesting and encouraging to look at that game and say, you know what, it was not an ideal situation, and yet we still saw from Jordan a guy who remained calm, uh, did not get flustered, that you don't have this typical young quarterback who you're worried about picking up all these bad habits from not being able to trust his offensive line and, and trying to play hero ball and stuff, which Jordan absolutely has been guilty of trying to play hero ball in the past. Uh, he was in college, you know, in the LSU game. Uh, I think um, there were certainly a bunch of moments in preseason games where you saw him trying to play hero ball. And uh, it's been too long since I've watched it, but I feel like that was a critique that I had of him in that Lions game as well. But he showed a lot. That you can be optimistic about in the Kansas City game and then again in the Eagles game. And we'll see. We're about to find out what he can do as the starter. Um, no idea how it's going to go. It could be great or it could be awful. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, as weird as as it is to say, I'm not really sure that I see a large degree of likelihood that it's going to just be mediocre. You know, like a, like a middling eighteenth, nineteenth best quarterback in the league. I it just doesn't feel like that's how it's gonna go. I and I think part of it has to do with, you know, the type of quarterback that we feel Jordan is. That if he is playing well, the offense is gonna be really, 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 really good. And if he's not playing well, the offense is really, 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 really gonna struggle. <laughs> because what makes him good or not good is gonna be the consistency. So if you see uh, you know, Baker Mayfield style play from him where it's like, hey man, he makes some plays where you're just like, wow, what was that? That was amazing. And then other plays where it's like, wow, what was that? Mitch Trubisky, same exact type of situation. Like Mitch looked amazing for so much of the game and right up until he didn't. And that's what made him one of the worst quarterbacks in football. And I think that Jordan Love is kind of in that same sort of vein of like, what is going to make him special is the down-to-down consistency and just rock-solid leadership and playing within the system. And, you know, there's guys like Justin Herbert in this league who, and I really love Justin Herbert, but I think a lot of that is missing from Justin Herbert's game. And Justin Herbert is a lot of hero ball, and a lot of the time it works. And the, there's like a lot of this flashiness that you look at him and you're like, okay, look, clearly he's very talented. Clearly he's a great quarterback. But then he ends up kind of being really one of your more mediocre, middling quarterbacks in the league because there's not that consistency. And I think that Jordan is kind of the opposite style. You you, you kind of make some of the same comparisons with like Aaron Rodgers and say like, "Hey, you know, Justin Herbert is sort of like, you know, the Aaron Rodgers that didn't, you know, isn't panning out so well." Which is, you got all these highlight reel plays, and you got all these incredible, incredible moments, and the down to down consistency is going to make or break a lot of these games. And that was always true about Aaron, and it's just that usually the answer was yes, that down-to-down consistency was going to be there. And when it wasn't, this is when you saw things you know really spiraling out of control, 2015, 2018, uh, 2022, where you would see, yep, he can still this – is, this is why it kind of drives me out. So there's a, some people on, on Twitter who like to post videos or highlight reels of Aaron from 2022 – You know, and show an incredible throw and be like, oh, I thought you said that Aaron sucked. And it's like, okay, he never said that he can't make an individual great play here or there. Obviously that is Aaron's bread and butter is like just blowing you away with an incredible throw that only he can make. But that's not what makes the offense good. The offense is good when he makes the right decision on almost every single snap. And when he is elevating everybody else around him, and when he is putting the ball where it needs to be on, you know, second and four. That's what makes the offense great. That is what has made Aaron great in the years when he has been really great. It has not been the insane Hail Marys. It hasn't been the incredible throws that he made against the Dolphins. So, you know, to kind of bring this full circle with Jordan Love, I think that Jordan is either going to be fantastic or terrible. This is this is just kind of how I see this going, that he's either going to be fantastic or terrible, and it's all going to be based on that consistency. That if he's consistent, the offense is going to be amazing. And if he's at all inconsistent, it's just not going to work. Because that's what you got with Mitch Trubisky. And I just um, – so this is this is my justification for why I don't see a scenario where you get to the end of the year and you're like, yeah, I think Jordan is good. I'm not really sure. I think he's good. Maybe. You know, we didn't win very many games, but I think he's good. Because there's a bunch of quarterbacks that you would say that about in recent years. Kyler Murray, I think, has always fallen into that category of like, yeah, you know what? I mean, he's good, right? Or no, is he is he terrible? Which one is he? Because he's got all the great highlight plays. Uh, who's, who's another example? Um, I think Tua has kind of been that. Like, <laughs> you know, Tua can put up a highlight reel like you wouldn't believe. And then at the end of the year, you're like, I, I feel like they lost a lot of games and, and I feel like a lot of the time it was Tua's fault. I got one more thing I want to talk about. It's a little bit different topic. Uh, I'm going to take an ad break right here, and we'll wrap up the podcast with a look at some guys on the roster who I think have a lot of versatility. Uh, And this was sort of a topic I wanted to get to last week and kind of ran out of time. So we're doing it this week. All right, stay tuned.
0: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks.
1: So I think we're probably only going to do wide receiver today. But I want to talk about, uh, I guess, positions, and wide receiver is one of them, where you got a bunch of bodies and there's different roles within that position to fill. At wide receiver, it's pretty easy to identify that we're looking for an X, a Y, and a Z. <laughs> uh, so who's going to be the slot is one of the biggest questions. We kind of know Christian Watson's role. The biggest question with him is can he kind of be your your ex possession receiver, or is he really gonna be used a lot more as sort of the MBS stretch the field deep threat? And I, I lean more toward the former rather than the latter. But I thought it'd be interesting to break down the body types and experience of all of these wide receivers, um, and kind of just see where they, where they fit and kind of what kind of receivers we have. So I grabbed information about all these guys and put it together. And maybe I'll drop this on my Patreon for subscribers to look at themselves. I, I found it interesting to see it laid out. And there's a couple guys, Jeff Cotton, and Romeo Dobbs who we don't have a lot of testing data about. In fact, Jeff Cotton we kind of have <laughs> almost no information. The only thing I could really find on him is that in 2020 he apparently played about 640 snaps. Uh that's just about the only information we have about him. Don't know his size, his playing history and I mean he didn't he just didn't play in the league in 21 or 22. So in 2020 was his last year in college and he played about 640 snaps. And he played a pretty substantial number of snaps in the slot. He was primarily an outside guy, but he played about a third of his snaps inside, which is pretty high. But going across the board, one of the things that you see, because I color coded it so that the guys who are, you know, an anomaly will stand out. And it kind of struck me that this is maybe a little bit of a shorter receiving room than the Packers have had in recent years. It seems like maybe they're a little bit more willing to get away from the really speedy, really tall guys. And part of that has to do with the fact that I don't think that this past two years has had very good wide receiver draft classes for the whole NFL to choose from. And I tend to like the guys that the Packers grabbed out of those two groups. But, you know, if you're looking at 40 times, for the guys that the Packers drafted or just you know signed as as undrafted free agents this year all the 40 times were bad all of them Jaden Reed was uh, I think a 443 and the Packers said that they clocked him at 438 and I'm not saying 443 is terrible but point being I I bumped Jaden Reed up to a 438 on this board and he's the only guy we got this year with a good 40 time if you use the Packers four three eight forty. so height wise Christian Watson is the tallest at six foot four then you have Jadikas Bonds a new guy we picked up at six foot three and then you got to go to Grant DuBose at 6'2", for the next tallest guy. So we got two guys on here who I would genuinely say I think are short. Bo Melton's 5'11", Jaden Reed is 5'10". Everybody else is right about exactly at six foot. Malik Heath is at 6'2". Actually, he and Grant DuBose are the same height, six oh two three. So two tall guys, two medium guys, uh, one, two, three, four guys who are exactly six feet, and two guys who are... Uh, an inch or more below six feet. Jaden Reed is the shortest. He's just a tick under 5'11". Now, when it comes to weight, one of the things that I find interesting about color coding this is you kind of see who has a disproportionate height to weight ratio compared to everybody else on the roster. It's not necessarily singling out anybody as, you know, oh, this guy is really underweight, this guy's really overweight. But it does kind of give you more of a clear picture of what body types we have here. The heaviest receiver is Malik Heath at 213 pounds at just 6'2". He has one of the highest weight-to-height ratios. Dontavian Wicks and Grant DuBose are definitely different body types from each other. Tay Wicks is short and heavier. Grant DuBose is taller and lighter. Uh, Jaden Reed is short and light. Romeo Dobbs is short and light, but definitely very average at both of those. Uh, Samori Touré, very willowy, even by his just six-foot height. He's 191 pounds. It's not bad, but it's definitely um, something that I think paints a little bit more of a full picture when you look at at his overall snaps and the rest of his of his body makeup that Samori a uh, little, little slower a little bit light and short pretty long arms small hands uh, not very explosive anywhere his only really good testing uh, metric was the three cone drill I think that he does project well as a slot receiver. And if you look at where the snaps are divvied up, you see a tremendous outlier here in that in 2021, his final year in college, 2022, his first year in the pros, he's the only guy on the entire roster who has more snaps in the slot than he does out wide. And actually it's by a pretty wide margin uh, about a two to one margin in 2022 and a four to one margin in 2021. He is definitely, definitely has more experience as a slot receiver than he does out wide and more experience as a slot receiver than anybody else. It's really not close. The second highest number of total snaps in the slot that I can find anywhere is Jaden Reed in 2020 he had 334 snaps in the slot and then in uh third place would be uh Jeff Cotton 217 slot uh, snaps in the slot in 2020 and then after that would be Christian Watson 153 snaps in the slot in 2022 so it does make a lot of sense why A lot of people are penciling Samori Toure in as the starting slot wide receiver. And I think at the beginning of all of our offseason programming for 2023, that makes sense. I think you are in a really good place if Jaden Reed can overtake Samori Toure and pass him and be the number one slot option. I think that's a great way to get him on the field. I think that his skill set does Lean well to being a good slot receiver, but I also think that it makes sense right now to list Samori as your, uh, Samari as your slot one. Um, let's look at some other measurements here. As far as 40 time, we have four fast guys and a bunch of slow guys. Uh, we don't have Romeo Dobbs 40 time. Let me see here. Uh, but we have for our fast guys, we have Christian Watson, 436, Jaden Reed, 438 per the Packers, Bo Melton, 434, and then Jeff Cotton has an unofficial 442. No idea how much stock to put in that. Uh, apparently he's been clocked at 442, 450 and 458. So, since I don't have any other numbers to go by, With Jeff, I'm just going to go ahead and give him that 442 because he's got to have some reason to stick around the roster. He's short, a little bit on the heavy side, um, unofficial arm length of 32 and an eighth inches, which is good. Hand size is not terrible, but it's small at nine and one eighth inches. Don't have any other testing. For him, he didn't play in twenty twenty two. He played one snap in twenty twenty one, and then we have a you know six hundred and forty snap body of work in twenty nineteen. So it's not even twenty twenty; it's twenty nineteen. That's all we got for Jeff Cotton. So I am just going to throw him a bone here and just assume that this four four two time is somewhat legitimate, and we'll, we will call that his one feather in his cap. Um, as far as uh, the slower guys. Malik Heath, Jadakus Bonds, Deuce Watts, and Tay Wicks all have pretty bad 40-yard dashes. Tay Wicks is at 4.62. Um, I really don't like to see anything slower than a 4.55, so all those guys have considerably worse than a 4.55. I can't remember if I said Deuce Watts or not, but he's sitting at 4.59. Grant DuBose is at 4.57, so both of those are you know, not great 40 times. These guys are going to have to um, make it up in other ways. And obviously the 40 is just a test and there's certainly play speed versus test speed. And, you know, it's not the full picture, but we do have, have, uh, three guys that we know are speedy. And then we're assuming that this four, four, two time for Jeff cotton is somewhat valid. As far as arm length, the only guys who stick out in any way are Jaden Reed has really short arms. Bo Melton has, um, Short, but not super short arms. So Jaden Reed is at 30 and a half inches. Bo Melton is at 31 and a quarter inches. Uh, I think Jaden Reed, I would say is the only one with like kind of unacceptably short arms, but obviously it's just one small part of the picture. And you know, even if you just give him a failing grade in that one area of arm length, okay, big whoop. What else can he do as a football player? Obviously. Uh, almost nothing to gleam from the bench, except that we got some guys who are kind of weaklings. I'm not going to give all the numbers because they're not that interesting, but I will just single out the guy with the lowest bench reps. And that was Samori Torre only had seven reps on the bench. So I don't know how many I could do. I like to think I could do more than seven. No idea. <laughs> I should, I should figure that out. Uh Bo Melton is the only guy with a really good, short shuttle time at, uh, four one. Uh, but the only guys with bad, uh, actually there's five guys with bad shuttle shuttle times. Jaden Reed, Grant DuBose, Deuce Watts, Malik Heath, and Jadika Spons all had bad short shuttle times. Um, this is interesting. One of the only poor, uh, testing areas for Christian Watson. And it wasn't even that bad. He had a four one nine. um, but just compared to how much he blew the rest of all the testing out of the water, that 419, it, it does stick out as kind of his worst testing area. 3-cone uh, will single out Samari Touré as having the best at 677. Love to see that. Worst goes to Jadikas Bonds. Deuce Watts also uh, right up there with him. You got a 727 for Watts and 732 for Bonds. Uh, now, this is the... Other one that, I, you know, and I'm not really sure what you can take away from this. this is your 10 yard split. So this is your acceleration. I'll give you a second to think who you think probably has the best acceleration out of the whole group. One, two, three. I gave you about three seconds to think. It's Christian Watson, one, four, five. Uh, second place would go to Deuce Watts at one, four, seven. Other guys with good 10 yard splits, Jaden Reed, Grant Dubose, Bo Melton. Uh, the only guy with a really bad, I guess there's two guys with poor 10-yard splits. Samari Toure at 1.64 is, I mean, that's downright awful. And Jadakas Bonds was right behind him at 1.61. As far as the Vert, again, this is kind of just an explosiveness grade. Uh, Dontavian Wicks had a 39, that's the best out of anybody. Christian Watson was right behind him at 38.5. <sighs> Bo Melton and Deuce Watts both had good numbers. Everybody else had relatively poor verticals. As far as the broad jump, the only guy with a really good broad is Christian Watson. Overall RAS should surprise nobody at all that the best RAS relative athletic score goes to Christian Watson. He's got 996 out of 10. It's fantastic. Second place goes to Bo Melton at 923. I continue to think that Bo Melton might stick around due to being, uh, you know, one of the most athletic and speediest guys on this roster. A little bit shorter at 5'11, kind of willowy at 189. At least that's what he was at the combine. So, if he's put on some weight, that might help him a little bit. Um, and you know, he did not play in 2022, he did play in 2021. He had 422 snaps out wide, 135 snaps in the slot. I think that Bo Melton maybe is in the mix there at slot receiver. He's kind of one of the only guys on the roster who has any real experience there. Uh Still definitely behind Samari Toure and Jaden Reed, but I would put him at probably the third most experienced slot receiver on this roster. So to recap, we're looking at... All guys with slot experience, you got Christian Watson, Bo Melton, Samari Toure, Jaden Reed, uh, Jeff Cotton four years ago. <laughs> That's about it. Romeo Dobbs had a few snaps there in 2021 and 97 in 2022. So 116 in 2021, 97 in 2022. I I don't think that's where he's going to end up. You know, one of the things you're looking for here, you want the really twitchy, short area guy. So I am looking at uh, the 10-yard split. I am looking at the vert. Uh, I mean, uh, across the board, the guy who sticks out as the best, probably overall fit to be a long-term slot guy is Jaden Reed. Um, you know, like I said, Samari Tori, there's a lot there to like about his skill set on the inside. You know, if you, especially if you're looking at the three cone drill, three guys who stand out well there, Samari Tori had the best three cone of anybody on the roster. The next two guys behind him were Grant DuBose and Ontavian Wicks. And I think these are two of the guys that we have some questions about. Let's run through what types of, of bodies and experience they are again. Grant DuBose will do first. 6'2", two, 201 pounds, not very fast, Four five seven forty. Uh shorter arms, average hands, poor short shuttle, good three cone, great 10-yard split, um, mediocre vert, average broad jump, um, overall pretty athletic dude, mostly has experience playing out wide. Uh, played a thousand snaps out wide across 2021 and 2022 and uh, did not get to play in 2020. Um, I, th- I don't know if that was COVID related or due to his transfer. I think it was COVID related. Uh, and then he has you know, in the last two years, he's got about 130 snaps in the slot. I, I just don't think he's a great fit for the slot. I think that, Grant DuBose, in my mind, kind of profiles as like a backup Romeo Dobbs in a way. You know, he's not the biggest, fastest guy, decent receiver, um, can uh you know make some sharp cuts on the inside. Um, but I, I think you know, maybe maybe more as like a a boundary guy. I'm not really sure what the role would be for him on the roster. He's not as big as Alan Lazard, but maybe you could use him in some of the same ways, sort of, you know, um, short area type passing. Because it does seem like he has some of the skill sets to maybe get open pretty quickly and then use his, you know, okay, not terrific, but certainly not um you know unsatisfactory size to hopefully barrel his way forward for a few more yards i don't know I, I i just my my biggest thing with him is i don't really see him as a deep threat and tay wicks i think is kind of the opposite for me he's a little bit heavier um you know still doesn't really have that top end gear but i think that he's got a little more athleticism nice long arms and big hands Uh, pretty, uh, pretty good, you know, sort of leaping explosive ability. I think he, you know, we saw him make a decent number of contested catches in college. I think, you know, as far as his skill set as a, you know, sort of a deep ball and contested catch guy, I think that might be where he excels. You know, is he the best on the roster at it? I'm not sure because Jaden Reed does a good job at that. Christian Watson. In theory, this is where he should really shine as well, but I think Tay Wicks, maybe Deuce Watts. You know these these two kind of profile that way, except that Deuce Watts is kind of on the light side, and you know Tay Wicks is a good ten fifteen pounds heavier than him, so you know that might give him a bit of an edge when he if he's got to you know really be out there and, and fighting a DB. I don't know. It's fun to think about where you could put all these guys if i was going to do any kind of a depth chart at any of the positions, you know, one of the big questions i have cuz i think you can find a couple guys who could back up Romeo Dobbs. We kind of have an idea of what our slot competition looks like right now. It's Jaden Reed and Samari Toure and then maybe as a distant third, you're probably looking at Bo Melton. Jeff Cotton had experience in the 20 what 19 season. Yeah, 2019 as a slot receiver. But I mean, it's, it's basically those three guys. It's smart Touré, Bo Melton, uh, Jaden Reed. I guess, I guess you would, you would throw rumo Dobbs in the mix a little bit there. If Jaden Reed really kind of forces you to play him on the outside because he's so good out there. I think at that point you would say, Hey, look, we're not putting Christian in the slot full time. So we want to get our best three out there and we think Romeo Dobbs is one of our best three and he was not bad in the slot. So I think that that's what your slot looks like. If you're looking at who's backing up Christian Watson, again, I think just due to the speed, I think Bo Melton is a guy who makes sense there. But I also kind of see Tay Wicks, even though he's, he's, he's not that speed. I think Tay Wicks is just a great downfield contested catch kind of a guy. And although his 40 time is not great, sometimes when you watch him in college, it seems like he does have some of that top end breakaway speed. I just don't know if it's going to be enough in the NFL. And full disclosure, Wicks was not one of the guys that I was really crazy about in college, but he's got 460 and 430 slots or uh, out wide snaps over the last two years. Nice high vertical jump 39. That's the best in the, uh, in the whole room. His broad jump is fine. Nice athletic guy. I mean, really the only thing that I think has you any kind of worried about him is he takes a little while to get going. I really do think his top end speed is fine. It just, it takes him a little while. And I think that he's, Gonna be a guy who maybe struggles in man. You know, maybe Taywix is a guy who you really need a lot of good uh, zone coverage to kind of get him going. Because if he's if if you're relying on him to beat press man off line scrimmage and catch a pass right away, he's just not your guy. I think you got to let his route develop a little bit. I think he is a. a I think he's a savvy route runner. And one of the bigger questions that I have about him sometimes is he seems almost bored at times. And there's been other football players who I felt that way about in college. And it was, you know, I I think um, uh, CJ Stroud at Ohio State, the quarterback is an example of a guy who sometimes during a game in college, he would look bored. And I think he was bored and he would kind of make life a little bit, too difficult on himself and start throwing some interceptions because he was getting bored out there. And we'll have to see how he transitions to the pros. In theory, you're going up against tougher defenses in the pros. They're making you sweat. Life isn't so easy. And so you're a little more invested. And I don't know if that's kind of where Tay Wicks is going to settle. I didn't, I didn't think his production in college was that great, but he still looked kind of distracted and bored at times. So I don't know. I'm not, know i am i am not listing that as any kind of like a, you know, oh, my biggest flaw is that I'm uh, a perfectionist, you know, <laughs> not one of those, you know, false negatives is actually a positive. I think this is a, a negative that seemed to show up in his college tape. But is it something that's going to follow him to the pros? I don't know. So anyways, hope this gives you kind of a picture. Again, I think I'm going to put a screenshot of this information breakdown on Patreon. Another thing that I started breaking down was the kick and punt returns in college. And man, none of the sites I was using to pull this information could agree with each other even remotely. And I'm not sure maybe some of the sites were only counting if you actually attempted the return versus some of them were counting if you were just back there to receive and then, you know, let it go in the end zone for a touchback. I don't know, or or had a fair catch. I'm not sure. These numbers were all over the place. So uh, I will try to remember to hunt down that more accurate information and figure out how I want to serve that up. But you can check that out as well uh, at some point. That I probably will just post on on Twitter at some point. So follow me there at JJ Leahy. And that's going to do I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week here on the Packernet Podcast Network.